Hey, if you like us and think we're doing a good job, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. It really helps grow the show. Also, check out the video version of the podcast at our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash Haposupremacy. And now, let's get into what's happening. Hello, what's happening? Episode 90, the big 9-0. I'm Shane. And I'm Nico. And uh, we are very happy to have returning guests to the show. It's been a while since both of you have been on the show. I think the last time you were on, I think it was episode 18, I believe. Wow. Uh, you know, we had a, or I had Kyle on. I was back uh, when it was just me for those couple of episodes before. But uh, so I'm, I'm happy to have Kyle Anzalone and Will Porter back on the show. How are you guys doing? Good. I, I'm real happy to be back on. I always enjoy doing your show. I think we have, you know, fun conversations. Sometimes our show is a little bit more serious, but I feel like we bring a little bit, a little bit more fun to it when we, when we come on your show. Yeah. Thanks for having us back. It's cra- It feels a lot like a long time since we've been on. It's, like, it was the before time, before COVID and everything. When we were last on. So. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, yeah, back in 2019 BC, right? <laughs> before exactly. COVID. Yeah, before wow. COVID, before Christ, whichever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so really happy you guys are on. And uh, so one of the reasons I uh, wanted to have you on is because you guys are starting a new show together uh, called Conflicts of Interest. And I know Kyle used to ho- um, used to host a show called foreign policy focus. And then now you're starting this new show with Will. Uh, can you kind of talk about, you know, what sparked the interest of wanting to do a show together? Cause I know Will was a frequent guest of foreign policy focus. So I'm probably just guessing that was probably why, cause you, you're like, well, I have you on all the time. So might as well just do a, you know, a show together. Is that kind of what happened? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I think Will was the first guest of the show. Definitely the second, if he wasn't the first and yeah. I think he was on like at one point end up being a ratio, like every five episodes Will was on. Um, I did 500 episodes of foreign policy focus and I was like getting tired of doing just solo shows every time. I also never loved the name foreign policy focus. And so, uh, you know, I had asked Will a while ago about it and then the COVID thing happened and we started doing episodes every Monday and yeah. everybody was giving me feedback like, hey, I really love the Monday episodes, really love the Monday episodes. So we end up just making its own thing. And Will, you know, brought you know, himself and a great name, uh, you know, no more boring name. Conflicts of interest is really cool. So, yeah, we're, we're doing that, covering the news three days a week, trying to keep it uh, as much like foreign policy focus as I could, but added like the video element. Obviously, having Will on every episode is great. And, and then like a news ticker and a few other things to just try to make the show look a, a little bit more professional and lively. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, we mostly still cover a lot of the same subject matter we covered on foreign policy focus. We're still you know focused on the empire and the wars and a lot of that stuff. But uh, we also kind of are, have like broadened our scope a little more to like more domestic stories too. And just in time too, for all this like unrest and rioting and all that. So I thought it was a good time to, to sort of rebrand and expand our scope, you know? Yeah, it's probably um, it's probably a good idea because there's just so much out there now. And wh- one of the things that I do like about your show, and that also includes foreign policy focus, is that you talk about a lot of the news stories that the corporate press are just either they don't want to talk about or they're just completely ignoring. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of the aspects that I, I like about your guys' show. And you know, you, you obviously have your opinions and everything about what's going on. Um, and one of the one of the topics that you guys have been really uh, focusing on is the Julian Assange case. And for me personally, it's, it's interesting. And I don't know if surprising is the right word, but it's definitely interesting to see that a lot of the corporate press and that's including, you know, some of the, um, you know, some libertarians shows or whatever, like they're not really talking about it. And I would think it would be something really important, especially, you know, journalism nowadays is kind of um, for some people, it's like a bad word 
because with you know especially with like donald trump as president you know the whole fake news and, and, and all that stuff you know and you know and I, I maybe the reason they're not talking about it is because well this guy blew the whistle on some things that shouldn't have been you know whistled on or whatever you know <laughs> and so like can you kind of just uh, kind of go over that whole case uh you know, as kind of as an overview and then we can kind of go more into it. Uh, Kyle, you can go ahead. Yeah. So I guess the, the first thing is you're right. It's amazing that we're four years now into Trump's war on journalists. Like it was mm -hmm. the summer of 2016 where they started saying Trump is attacking journalists. He's a, a unique threat to press freedom, the first amendment. And it, you know, most of it's hysterical. It's the kind of stuff like, uh, kicking Jim Acosta out of a White House press conference thing if he's like getting a little rowdy or something like that, you know, that or him insulting CNN and tweeting out fake news, right? So you, you have all that going on for four years. And then you end up with Trump deciding to do something that the Obama Department of Justice under Eric Holder, the most aggressive Department of Justice ever against whistleblowers, decided not to prosecute Julian Assange because of what they saw as the New York Times problem, which basically there's not a meaningful difference between what Julian Assange does with WikiLeaks and what the New York Times does every day, especially with national security reporting. And so they decided not to prosecute because, you know, this essentially set, would set the precedent for them to just prosecute anybody who's leaking classified information and then the, the outlets that are publishing it, like the New York Times. So, you know, kind of this is famously where the government backed off with like the Pentagon Papers and Daniel Ellsberg. Right. So you would think that when this happened, the mainstream media would have gotten the red meat that they have been so searching for over the you know past four years to really be like, look at this war on journalists that this crazy guy is waging and he's going to take away your First Amendment. Because, you know, that's what's at stake here. And as you point out, there's almost nothing. If there's anything, it's typically been coverage that makes Julian Assange looks bad or a little bit crazy. So the first time that he stood up in court and yelled something, uh, they, you know, report Julian Assange had an outburst in court today. What they don't report is the reason that he yelled out in court was because uh, there was a Guantanamo Bay detainee who I believe used the cables that uh, Julian Assange published, the, the uh, Guantanamo Bay files, uh, to help prove that he was like wrongly tortured and treated poorly by the United States, all kinds of crimes against him, right? And so the judge said, ah, that's not well, relevant. We're not going to hear that. And so he stood up and yelled, like, how is this court going to suppress you know, the, the, voice, uh, the voice of, you know, people who were wrongly tortured, right? And, you know, people just report, oh, Julian Assange makes an outburst and stuff like that. And so mm -hmm. if there's been coverage, that's kind of been the coverage. But I, I mean, you would think that, that this would just be the, like, the biggest red meat for CNN, Trump's actual war on journalists happening. And yet, I, I mean, Will, I don't know if you've like read anything really recently. I know like the, the Washington Post has like ran an op-ed saying like, oh, this could be a bad thing if, you know, Assange is thrown in uh, the super mats in Colorado, but it, there's not much. So I don't know, maybe Will could pick up there. Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of why Assange is getting ignored lately is because he became such like persona non grata after the 2016 election because of his role in leaking Hillary Clinton's emails and the Podesta emails and stuff. And that just made him like a demon in the eyes. Like his prior to that, he was the guy who leaked all this like damning stuff on George Bush's war on terror. You know, he leaked some stuff about that made Obama look bad too. But uh, really the 2016 election, I think the whole like American psyche on Assange completely changed. Not that I think people really cared about him that much before, but like after he became perceived as Mr. Like working with the Russians and, uh, you know, working to help Trump get reelected and all that stuff. That just made him like, you know, people just stopped caring about his plight, unfortunately. And yeah, we, we now have him facing these extradition hearings where he's facing 17 counts in the United States, uh, 175 years behind bars, potentially for espionage. He's the first publisher who's been hit with uh, the Espionage Act. Um, and yeah, you don't really have much, uh, much of a, uh, you know, people aren't really making a stink about it unfortunately. And I think that is largely because like the left half of mainstream American politics have been turned away because of this ridiculous narrative about Russia. Um, 
And I should note that there is no, like, Assange all along has denied that WikiLeaks did not, like, Russia was not the source for the Podesta emails and for the Hillary emails. But nonetheless, that idea is just invincible in the, in the minds of some, like, you know, uh, liberals and Democrats and stuff. They're just like, they cannot be convinced that Assange is not, uh, you know, the worst man ever, the, the guy who got Trump elected, basically. So unfortunately, that is, I think, like, the, the general perception on him. So one of the things that you guys were kind of talking about how, you know, with the Hillary emails and uh, Podesta and everything like that and uh, some of the um, some of the things that came out making Obama look bad. So wouldn't you think maybe some of the conservative media would just pounce on this and be like, see, Obama was a, was as bad as we told y'all. He was terrible. Like, wouldn't you think like, you know, I know Fox News is like that main supposedly the, the main right wing conservative news outlet. But wouldn't you think other news outlets like One America News Network or even the blaze or something like that. What maybe talking about it too. Maybe they have, I don't know. Cause I'm not one to be like, well, I'm going to see if the blaze has been talking about this. Let me go find out, you know, and, and you two have been um, like, I know you will, you're, you're a staff writer at RT as of right now, you know, so you're kind of more into that journalistic, uh, I guess, you know, arena or whatever. Have you seen any of that kind of correlating as well? Or have they also completely just ignored this? Well, I mean, there, there are some types of conservative. There's a girl, there's a, a writer named Cassandra Fairbanks. She writes for a lot yeah. of like uh, conservative, right, you know, right-leaning publications. And she's a big advocate for Julian Assange, for sure. So there, is, there, there are certain types of like, you know, right-leaning people who are like that. But like, I don't know. I don't think Assange is there, you know, for most conservatives, most right-leaning people, Assange is not their biggest concern. They're not that concerned about, you know, journalists and whistleblowers and that kind of thing. Even if like, you know, like you're saying, Assange has helped to, to make some of their enemies look bad, Hillary Clinton and Obama and stuff. But also, you know, they've, they've also made, you know, George Bush look bad. A lot of conservative types would be the type to think like, no, you got to keep, you know, keep our secrets safe. And like, that's going to endanger our, our servicemen and all that stuff. And indeed, that is a big part of the case against Assange right now. Like in some of this, in some of the testimony in his uh, extradition hearing, they are trying to say how some of his leaks or some of the things that he published, how that got, you know, put people in danger and got them, you know, they can't prove that anyone actually was harmed. Um, they, they can show that they they claim that like you know certain Assange publications led to you know some American asset had to flee somewhere, but they can't actually show any actual harm done to any any you know CIA source or anything. But nonetheless, that is the type of thing that like a conservative leading person would point to and say that like oh like that this was also said about uh, Chelsea Manning you know blood on their hands after these leaks. Um, again, they can't really prove it, but that is sort of how they they approach it. Unfortunately. Yeah, I, I mean, I find like most of like the blaze is like, I feel like kind of lowbrow conservative, like the Daily Caller does good work on Russiagate and Ukraine gate. Yeah. Uh, Andy McCarthy at uh, the National Review is on the right and has done good work on this. Uh, occasionally, you'll find something like great at the Washington Examiner or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, right. Even the New York Post and then Daily uh, Mail. Uh, John Solomon is the other name I want to at least a lot of that has been written at the Hill uh, and he's done a lot of the work on like the important leads and stuff to come out. But I mean, overall, you have to say it's mostly been like left wing journalists that, um, you know, just weren't, you know, didn't take the Hillary bait from the start. You know, people like Matt Taibbi or Aaron Mate, who from the beginning like knew better than to like worship Hillary Clinton. And so then when she lost the election, they weren't surprised at all. And so then they were able to see this whole fake Russia thing was, uh, you know, a giant bogus story. And, you know, thankfully, because if it wasn't for, you know, them, Michael Tracy and Gareth Porter, uh, the, the, truth of you know what happened in 2016 wouldn't be known by as many people as it's known by and who knows what like the consensus narrative in the u.s would be against russia at least like there's you know these documented articles to show this stuff is fake um and if we didn't have that it, it'd be a, a bad situation uh, yeah that, that's um it's pretty good points and uh like part of me is just wondering everybody talks about the freedom of the press and everything like that, you know, and I don't know, maybe there are questions as to, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't know if I'm even asking the right questions or whatever, but like, maybe he shouldn't have done all this because now look what's going on, you know, with him. And he's, I don't know, his, his whole mental state and physical state just looks terrible, you know, just because he released some, you know, 
article or whatever about he made some people look bad. So now we're going to make him the, you know, like persona, persona non grata and everything like that. I, if I was in, if I was like a journalist or something like that, or I was going into journalism, I would look at this story and just think to myself, I have to now start thinking twice, three times, multiple times before I release an article or something, because, oh, I don't want to say anything bad about so-and-so, because if I say, if I have this bad article about, I don't know, let's just talk about current day. Like if I had this bad article about Joe Biden, who knows what would happen to me if, you know, some people aren't going to like me now or if I, or vice versa. If I did this story about Donald Trump, some people are going to love me for that, but there's going to be other people who are going to say, this person's talking about fake news. What am, how am I supposed to know, you know, like what's what, you know what I mean? Everybody has their opinion. Everyone's going to start spewing out. I'm saying the right thing. Well, how do I know that? You know, you know? Yeah, I mean, with, with the Julian Assange case, I think it really does like uh, jeopardize and threaten people for doing real journalism. Like, you know, you can you can publish all kinds of things and not really get targeted for it. But like when you're doing the real kind of national security reporting where you're, you're uh, publishing classified material, stuff like that, stuff that really matters, you know, like this is not just like, uh, you know, some nonsense that Jeffrey Goldberg's running at running at the Atlantic about how Trump said mean things about soldiers. This is like, you know, documenting American war crimes, things that like are historical historically important that like i think the american people do have the right to know not only americans the entire world you know this is like an this affects a lot of different people in different countries and so when you're talking about this kind of reporting with real impact like this is what they're they're criminalizing this is what they're threatening uh you can publish you can you know a lot of other types of journalism are still safe to do but like this is this kind of real impactful work this is what they're threatening with the assange case this is what they're criminalizing with uh with with his prosecution his attempted prosecution yeah, maybe I could just add there, Will, uh, just some of the things that have come up in Assange's trial, uh, things brought by the defense. And yeah. I think they've had a lot of battles with like the judge and the prosecutors to, you know, make these arguments. But they've tried to show that like the things that Assange leaked, especially all the cables he got from Chelsea Manning, were hugely important. So there was, you know, a, I think a couple witnesses now that try to testify as to how those documents help to prove either they're innocent or they're, you know, tortured, uh, wrongful torturing by the Americans. And I think at time, like knowingly wrongful torturing and, you know, renditions by the U.S. So, you know, that's really important. Um Greg Pollist, who who's a great like left wing journalist, has done a lot of uh, reporting on how a, a couple of years before like, the Deep Oil Horizon spill, the the BP thing in the Gulf, there was a very similar incident in the Caspian Sea, and it was uh, a State Department cable from the Chelsea Manning leads that actually proved the State Department helped to uh, exert some leverage to basically hush that whole thing up. And had that become a bigger story at the time, maybe then people would have uh, had different safety regulations and stuff in place to prevent the deep uh, oil horizon spill. So there's that, the Iraq body count. Um, there, somebody was there to testify about that and basically to say that there's at least 15,000 civilian deaths that the Americans knew about in the, you know, 2003 to what, 2008 or so in the uh, Iraq war, you know, in that period of time that were never reported, that were only able to be uh, reported because of these cables. So uh, they're hugely important. I know, uh, I think Patrick Coburn was going to testify, but one of the unfortunate things going on is that the judge is actually trying to make this the last week of witness uh, testimony coming up here, the last week of September, first week of October. And so I think some witnesses are getting cut or they're only going to have their statements read. And so it's believed Patrick Coburn was going to testify about how uh, the Arab Spring was, you know, set off in Kenya, Tunisia, Libya and other countries. When these cables were leaked, there was a lot of reporting going on about how all these dictators were taking money from the Americans to oppress their people, to allow the U.S. military to do what they wanted. While these official documents came out, people were like, whoa, you know. And so it started in Tunisia, but all these uprisings, uh, Yemen, Bahrain, all these countries, they happened because of these cables. So I, they, their, their importance can't be understated. One of the things that's interesting too is that you're like, Will, you're talking about um, all the stuff kind of uh, 
you know, releasing stuff about the national security state and everything like that. And a lot of, like some, uh, or a lot of the conservatives kind of ignoring it and all that stuff. I guess, I guess maybe in their minds, they're kind of thinking, well, you know, you know like, and you were saying this too, like we don't want any of that stuff out there because we don't want the enemy to have any of the information or anything like that. But at the same time, I thought we were all about trying to hold the government accountable for some of the things that they're doing. And yet they'll hold them accountable for some things. But when it comes to stuff like this, they'll just completely ignore it or just, you know, have a blind eye or, you know, window or, I mean, like, you know, car wipers, whatever. whatever. I don't even, I don't even know what you're talking about. What? Afghanistan papers. I don't know what you're talking about, you know, and that, that whole thing just kind of is interesting to me how a lot of the, um, like, yeah, like you were saying, like a lot of the left wing, uh, like, journalists whatever they're talking about some of this stuff and i don't know i i just don't i just don't understand the logic there and maybe i'm just not thinking hard enough about it i don't know maybe there's conservatives who are listening because we do have a, a, a conservative audience and i'm sure they're, they're probably thinking we're stupid for even talking about this but i mean it's it's i think it's important i really do and that's why i like you guys' coverage on it because you're willing to talk about this when no one else is and i think it's and, and you know and obviously the news nowadays is all about you know with the coronavirus and oh they're they're uh, trying to undermine donald trump's presidency and then all this other stuff and that i mean I, those are important issues but there's a lot more stuff going on than just that you know 24 7 coronavirus yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah, we considered just making our show just about COVID, just purely COVID show. <laughs> just call it COVID of interest or something like that. <laughs> there you go. Because, yeah, I mean, who knows when that's going to end, you know, the whole story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can cash in on that conceivably for, for a long time now. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, I think Kyle and I, we're, we're willing to, to make both sides mad. I think we're, we're willing to talk about the, the John Podesta leaks and the Hillary Clinton stuff, the stuff that makes her look bad. We're also willing to talk about the collateral murder video that makes, you know, George Bush administration, you know, that makes George Bush's wars look, look bad. Um, you know, I, I think with Assange, he is sort of a hot button figure where you, you are going to enrage both sides if you talk about all the stuff that he does. But I think that's part of what makes him so special is that he, he does not spare anyone. He goes after you know, his publications are super far reaching. He's published about all kinds of different figures and, and uh, you know, countries. People have, you know, tried to criticize him. Like, oh, why does he never publish things about Russia? And like, he does. Like, if you go and look through the archive, they publish tens of thousands of documents. A lot of the stuff does cover all kinds of different countries. So, you know, he definitely has made a lot of enemies of that stuff, I guess. Well, another thing too about Russia is that, you know, all the people who hate Trump and are saying that well, he's a Russian puppet. And then you actually look more into it. He's like, oh, wow, he's doing a lot of action that's pretty aggressive towards Russia. Eh, whatever. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean anything. He's still a puppet. I, I bet you. I bet Putin you. wants him to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Putin wants Donald Trump to be aggressive towards Russia to the point where we, we're at the brink of war. Yeah. He, he wants that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just look at this ridiculous uh, Russian bounty story. Like you have like Pentagon official after Pentagon official, the NSA, a bunch of like official agencies coming out and debunking it and saying like, we've seen no evidence. And for people who aren't familiar, the New York Times in June reported that Donald Trump or uh, that the Russians were paying bounties, like paying money to the Taliban in Afghanistan to kill American soldiers. And that Trump knew about this and did nothing about it. Like people have been trying to slam him over and over since the summer. And like I'm saying, a bunch of these Pentagon officials have come out and said, like, there's no evidence for this. We haven't seen it. Like, there's no, there's no indication this is true. And it just doesn't die. It's invincible. People keep saying it. Like, you know, Kyle mentions often Tammy Duckworth saying, like, it's been however many days since Trump, you know, ignored the Russian bounties. You know, just, just completely oblivious to, like, the official denials even from the military. So, I, I don't know. Like, the, the, the Russia stuff really is invincible. It's, it's hard but to kill. But it's the military intelligence. How do we know that they're telling the truth on that? Maybe there really are bounties. We just don't know. Maybe they're saying, ah, they're, they're, it's nothing's going on. We promise. But who knows? Maybe they're really doing it because they'll say this, like you're saying, they're debunking it. But maybe they really are putting bounties. How am I supposed to know? We're supposed to take these people at face value for everything they tell us. And for this particular story or whatever, I guess I'm kind of, um, I don't know how to, word it properly but uh like this fits the narrative for oh they're trying to destroy the trump thing by this whole bounty thing right so like for like the libertarians or whatever when they're kind of talking about this they say, well see this this pentagon official said it's debunking it so obviously it's true 
what he's what this person said. Do you do you kind of understand what I'm trying to say? Like it's like yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. our story, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's always question of like, you know, why is this source coming out and saying this now? Like, why, you know, whenever you get like an anonymous leak in a newspaper, there's always some reason behind it. However, with this RussiaGate thing, the whole the whole premise of it was that the New York Times was citing these anon- you know, anonymous intelligence, anonymous officials uh, to say that originally there were these Russian bounties. And to me, I think the military would largely have an incentive to come out and say, like, to make Russia look bad, too. I think they often like to you know, play up threats and stuff because that justifies their existence. But in this case, they're coming out on record and going against their own interests to say that, like, you know, I don't believe that the, the, there's evidence for this Russian bounty thing. So I think that sort of gives us an indication that, like, you know, I don't know uh, the provenance of this claim. I, I do think that I, I trust the on record military officials who are denying it more than the anonymous ones who are telling it to the New, New York Times. But I don't know, Kyle, maybe you have some. Yeah, more. I would just add to that that me and Will, this is a story that we've covered since the very beginning. Uh, as Tammy Duckworth reminds us, her pinned tweet from four hours ago is a lot has happened in 93 three days. One thing uh, hasn't changed Donald Trump has remained silent on bounty aid. So, you know, th- this has been going on for three months now. And me and Will have been like talking about it throughout the whole thing. And so, you know, at first you had the report that we have these unnamed intelligence officials that say it. And, and basically my and Will's response was there's no reason to believe this is true. And then we have more details come out. The NSA uh, assesses that this only has low confidence, which sounds like something, but it's really nothing. So the the NSA having low confidence that this is true means that it's possible that it's true, but the evidence that they have doesn't directly fit that narrative. So they think something else is more likely going on. And this is the NSA coming out within a couple of days. And so then it like slowly starts to come out and people figure out that this was actually uh, a result of intelligence obtained through interrogations by the Afghan uh, security forces, likely their intelligence. And this was uh, reported by Gareth Porter. And so now we you know, have found out that th- this whole bounty gate thing has absolutely no proof. The NSA doesn't even really believe it. And it turns out that this is just like unlaundered intelligence coming from the Afghan security forces who are known to torture and do everything possible because they really don't want the U.S. to leave Afghanistan because that would hurt their like, you know, government's power and their positioning. Uh, They had to, you know, compete a lot more and share a lot more power with the Taliban if the U.S. government wasn't there. So. Uh, you know, the, there's and then so there's no proof of it. And then now we have the Pentagon statements on top of all of that. Uh, so there, there's just a lot there. And it's not that we're just taking the Pentagon general, uh, Kenneth McKenzie, the commander of CENTCOM's word that yeah. there's, you know, still no intelligence to prove it. But, you know, the reporting uh, of really good national security reporters like Gareth Porter. OK, yeah, I kind of just wanted to kind of put that out there to kind of just say, well, Playing uh, devil's advocate or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. playing devil's advocate. You know, I don't want to be like, yeah, yeah, exactly, hundred percent. I agree with everything you're saying. <laughs> yeah. No, it, yeah, no, it's a good question. It's important to draw it all out because, uh, like you said, so many people will just like look for any excuse, and that's usually what I run into when talking about this kind of stuff. Is like they'll look for any excuse to be like, ah, that doesn't sound exactly right. You get one little detail wrong, say like 2017 instead of 2016, and then that's proof you don't know anything. You don't have to like be listened to. So, yeah, sometimes it's worth it to go through the whole bad story and get it all right. So another thing that I wanted to just touch on is uh, there was another story that you guys were talking about that was kind of interesting. Uh, it's uh, it's probably an old story, but it's just something that I kind of just want to bring up. But it was. Uh, there were some I don't know, I don't know how many government officials or that were kind of a part of it, but they were afraid that they're going to be brought up on war crimes against Yemen. Uh, can you kind of talk about that as well? Yeah, yeah, I can uh, start this and let Kyle uh, pick up after. Um, yeah, there was, this originally was in a New York Times story where, uh, and admittedly, they were uh, citing mostly anonymous officials, but that, I think for the story they talked to like a dozen or two dozen officials for it. So like it seemed like they had quite a few people like. Uh, uh, verifying and confirming and corroborating that, like, indeed, there are officials in both the Obama administration and the Trump administration who right now are sort of concerned and they're, you know, talking to lawyers and stuff because they're they're worried they could face uh, legal repercussions for um, U.S. arms sales to Saudi. And, like, uh, Saudi Arabia, of course, is using those weapons right now in Yemen to, to commit uh, war crimes. <laughs> um, 
And so, uh, yeah, these officials apparently are afraid that, like, if they're overseas for a vacation or for some kind of, uh, you know, conference or something, uh, they might get scooped up by, uh, you know, a foreign country on, on suspicion of war crimes. Um, because, indeed, the Saudi coalition and that's completely supported by the United States has for more than five years been carrying out, like, just completely indiscriminate bombing on civilians in Yemen on all kinds of civilian structures, on homes and hospitals and farms and factories and, you know, funeral processions and, you know, everything, you name it, they've dropped an American-made bomb on it there in, uh, in Yemen. Um, so, yeah, th there are American officials now, apparently, who are concerned that this could actually come back and bite them. It's incredible because, like, it's, it's crazy that they would even think that the law would apply to them like this. Like, it, it, you know, it doesn't. That doesn't ever happen. But it is funny that, like, you know, officials from two different administrations are indeed concerned that, you know, this could... Uh, this could uh, hurt them. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that's just huge is it's not an issue at all, right? That this is something that both the Trump and Obama administration officials are terrified of. And nobody talks about it. Like, this isn't a mainstream media story at all. Even the fact that there's a Yemen out, uh, cholera, out, not cholera, COVID outbreak. There's so many diseases in Yemen right now. Uh, the the COVID outbreak in Yemen is bad. They don't know how bad because they you know don't have testing kits and I mean, you, you know, people, there's not hospitals, you know, the, the, the hospitals have all been bombed or, you know, they don't have power going to them anyways. Uh, I was reading just this past week, Reuters reported that the power regularly goes out in hospitals and the nurses had to sit there and turn the dialysis machines by hand, I guess, to make sure the blood doesn't clot and stuff like that. Like, you know, that's the level we're talking about here. So, you know, the, there's not long lines of people getting COVID tests to see if they go to school this week. That's just not what's going on. But they do know a couple thousand people have died uh, from COVID in Yemen and then thousands of people as well from other diseases like cholera. The worst cholera uh, epidemic in modern history is uh, going on in Yemen. But, you know, these aren't the kinds of stories that people want to talk about. And, you know, it's because that it indicts all of them, not just, you know, the Democrats or the Republicans is both. Same problem with Sanchez. Yeah, yeah that does, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, it's it's terrible what's going on over there, and it, it sucks how long it's been going on. Um, you know, and I know you guys have been talking about it as much as possible whenever something, you know, an update or whatever. So I'm glad you guys are keeping that up. Um, I just wonder, like, like later in, you know, maybe 100 years from now, will we look Will people look back on this and feel like, why didn't we, why didn't anyone really do anything? Or like, why did we help like everything to happen? You know? Yeah. I mean, they've, they've done reviews like where they're, they're, you know, they see these arms deals to the Saudis where it, it has been found by lawmakers that the U S is not doing its due diligence to figure out whether, so you know, whether Saudis, you know, not dropping these on you know, some civilians house somewhere. And so it is definitely like, and I think this partially adds into the fear that, you know, these, some of these officials could face uh, consequences is because the, it is on record that like uh, the, the U.S. and the Saudis are not doing the due diligence to make sure this doesn't kill civilians. And, you know, uh, that's been happening for over five years. We're in year six of this war now. And it seems there's no, you know, no sign of the stopping. Um, you know, the U.N. hasn't like they're involved in the country. They haven't stopped into stepped in to stop it. There's no real negotiations right now for a ceasefire or anything. It just keeps dragging on, fortunately. Well, just mentioning the UN real quick, Will, I'll add uh, 300 Yemeni healthcare facilities lost access to aid in the past week uh, because the UN isn't getting uh, enough donations. So not that I like, you know, a ton of humanitarian aid or, and stuff like that, but, you know, you're inflicting a starvation campaign against people. They need to eat. They need to be able to get medical care. And so, you know, the fact that like Saudi Arabia and the UAE have pledged money to the UN that they haven't come through with. And now that aid is being cut is really traumatic. And this is the kind of aid that, you know, is, it's not military. It's not, you know, going to the Israelis so they can have universal education and health care. It's not, you know, going to subsidize the defense of Germany so they could, you know, have all kinds of government programs and welfare, welfare programs. It's, you know, literally going to be like life and death for, uh, you know, the little Yemeni kids. And so I've always, you know, I, I think about that too sometimes, which is how are people going to look at it? Where in the United States right now, we have like this huge woke, whatever you want to call a moment where we're all supposed to be concerned about minorities and the, you know, less privileged and the less fortunate. There's nobody on this earth right now, maybe other than some poor kid in South Sudan, less fortunate than some poor kid in Yemen. 
And I, I think that when if people honestly look back at it, I think they're going to kind of look at the United States at this time right now, kind of like uh, the capitals portrayed in the Hunger Games, like a bunch of like very elaborate, rich, materialistic uh, people with, with absolutely like no concern for what their government and you know what their government is doing all over the world and just doesn't matter. Yeah, and speaking of things that apparently aren't isn't going to stop or is is actually going to happen is uh, the presidential debates that are coming up. And I'm I, I mean for some people they were thinking this isn't going to happen, but apparently it's going to happen. So you know, and I know that the uh, topics were brought up for the first debate. I think uh, Chris Wallace is going to be the one that's going to be moderating that, and you know, maybe it's going to be in there. I don't know. Maybe they're just going to wait for the second or third debate, but foreign policy wasn't in there at all. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. Um, but anyway, so it's going to be Donald Trump and Joe Biden. They're not going to let Joe Jorgensen speak. Hashtag let her speak. Is it working? Sorry. Um, <laughs> How is it not working? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, because the two parties have this really massive control. And, yeah, we're just going to let some Ross Perot person. Yeah, why not? Let's have him come in, too. Sure. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> um, but because they're they're blaming Jill Stein still, which doesn't make any sense. But anyway. Um, blaming her for what? I don't know. She took two votes away from uh, Hillary Clinton. So, oh. that you know. See, she also votes. went to Russia once. So, oh, I don't yeah. know what that means. There you go. Yeah. So, if any, if any of you guys decide you want to have a vacation or you want, you know, you travel from Moscow, whatever, then you're apparently you're a Russian collusion people or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, it's going to be Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And I, I mean, look, some of the appearances from Joe Biden have been, I don't know what. Is going on? What was the last <laughs> Hilarious. Something like, clap for that, you bastard. Yeah, I keep talking to military personnel, and he's saying, like, "You stupid bastards," or something. I don't know. It kind of sounds like he's saying that. It kind of doesn't. I don't know because I've seen some people say, "Oh, that's what he said." So now I'm, I'm automatically going to hear that. But anyway, regardless, the, the another thing too about his appearances is that they'll put lids on his appearances, as in, okay, after ten o'clock, morning, that's it. No more uh, apparent. I'm thinking, who does that during a campaign where you're bedtime? Yeah, apparently 10 a.m. is his bedtime. I guess he was he stayed up overnight because he was talking to other people for like I don't know. And then he has his other appearances out in public where it's he's sitting there and it's like a circle. Oh yeah, it's really dystopian looking. I don't know what is happening there, but I don't know exactly if he's like if he's talking to other uh, what states he's focusing on, but I can probably guess he's, they're making the same mistakes that Hillary Clinton's campaign did there. And he's, I don't know. I mean, yeah, let's, let's go talk to the Californians for the thousandth time. Yeah. Cause they're already going to vote for you. So why even bother, you know? Um, and you know, Donald Trump is, he's not doing it as much, but he's still doing those appearances where, you know, he's doing those, uh, rallies and the the corporate press saying i can't believe he's doing all these rallies all these people they're not wearing masks they're not social distancing but hey you can protest all you want that's totally fine go ahead and protest all your stuff because we agree with what you're protesting so you can do all that that's fine right covid knows the difference yeah right exactly and, and I, we've said this too on on our show just like solo episode or whatever where you know we'll go to a restaurant, you have to wear a mask when you get into the restaurant. But once you sit down, you can take it off. So you go from here and you go two inches there. Now you can take it off. Cool. Makes all the difference. Yeah. Isn't it weird how like some people are so religious about this thing though? Like with like who it impacts. So like you you know somebody regular gets it and then it's fine. It's no big deal. But like uh, Herr Bolsonaro in Brazil gets it, or I think the governor of Missouri just got it. And people are like, oh, you see what happens when you talk bad about coronavirus? Coronavirus comes back to get you. <laughs> I remember this was a big thing, especially like in the spring when like it was new. People were like, maybe it's like the like retribution virus or something like that. Um, I talked to a lady 
lady who told me that she felt like it was nature's way of trying to get us to pollute less because people are flying so much less. And I, there's like really something like just kind of religious about where like, yeah, people will like, you know, demand that if you're going out to walk your dog that you wear a mask, but you know, they're going to go get together with like, you know, their extended family at a dinner and all eat inside. And they're like, Oh, we think this is fine. It's like, okay, then you don't get to think that what I'm doing when I go while my dog isn't fine. Um, but it's just so weird. And, and, yeah. not only that, and not only that, you can go and see, you know, cause Ruth Bader Ginsburg died recently and you can go visit her casket or whatever, you know, but if you're, her, uh, if, I think they they held like a huge like memorial. Something yeah, something like that. Or uh, so I think it was John Lewis too, who also passed away recently. And you can they can have a funeral. But if one of your close relatives dies, eh, sorry, no funeral for you because you're a peasant. You don't matter. Right. It, it's it's I don't know. But anyway, um, I don't know how we got on to this because we were talking about the debate. I mean, remember <laughs> like the like seven or eight funerals they did for George Floyd, and all those churches were packed. Yeah. And I look, I'm not saying they shouldn't have had those funerals. I'm right. just saying that if they could have those funerals, then let's go back to like how things were. And if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you want to social distance, social distance. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sure. Kind of just let, you know, let it out. Let's say, okay, we recommend it, but we're not going to force you or yeah. Like, you know, it's like that whole adage of like, you know, whatever is good. It's like good for you, but we're not going to do it. Cause you know, we're, we're, uh, we're politicians. We matter or something like that. I don't know. I mean, Nancy it's Pelosi so blatant. There you go. That's what I was going to say. Nancy Pelosi made it so obvious to everyone that this is just like a, a huge scam. She's the oldest lady I've ever seen, and she's going to go get a haircut indoors. It's like, okay, then you don't believe it. Like you and your like kente cloth mask could go kneel somewhere else and like do your little TV show thing. Because, like, people have real issues to deal with. They can't. And then I can't believe she's still, like, just blame the hairdresser for that whole thing. Yeah, That's the best part about it. She wasn't even like, yeah, I made a mistake. It's hard to be locked up for a long time. Like, I get it, everyone. Like, we're all trying to get through here and we all make mistakes. No. She's like, right. that hairdresser set me up. Shame on you. Set me up. You're the only one there. <laughs> like, how? Oh, oh, tricked you into cutting oh, your hair. Oh, snap. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's gonna be coming over to and get her hair done. Okay, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, like, you know, that camp footage that's we're doing. Yeah, we're gonna keep that on. That's what that's how we're gonna set it, and then we're gonna release it to the public. That's what we're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly how they set her up. Yeah, yeah okay, Nancy, whatever. Yeah, she's like, they told me the virus was over. I trusted them. <laughs> Right. Yeah. All the fumes were gonna kill it. It was fine. Um, so anyway, I, I don't know how we got into that, but anyway, it's probably, it's my fault. Obviously, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I'm, I bl I'll blame you guys. Why not? Yeah, uh, I think that was me. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of pent up like COVID anger. Uh, it's been a long couple of weeks, so. Yeah, yeah, we're going to the real important issues now. Let's let's tell you. Um, but anyway, uh, so presidential debate is uh, is happening i guess there's going to be three uh the rest of them are going to be in october it's going to be the first presidential debate and then it's going to be the vice presidential debate which my guess is that's going to be boring as hell uh because i mean look i i honestly like the, the, i remember the last all these debates were back in 2016 there are a lot of trump supporters too who are like oh man donald trump's gonna He's gonna hammer Hillary Clinton. He's gonna he's got some zingers up his sleeve, whatever. And I, but I remember the first debate kind of not really being all that eventful. He was kind of just I guess he was playing it safe. I don't know. Maybe he was playing four thousand D chess. Who knows? I don't know. Um, but then it was it wasn't until the second debate when he had that really good zinger. You know, you because you'd be in jail, and that's when I was like, oh, this is that's great. That's that's like a moment where you you don't even have to light the guy. You're like, oh, that was that was pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. Um, so I'm kind of thinking that might happen again because it's just, you know, I, I think it's going to be like the usual where they'll, they'll stand at their podiums and all that stuff. And Chris Wallace is going to be trying to be as fair as possible. I don't know how it goes, but so do, do you kind of have that same uh, feeling with this one? Do you think maybe he's going to 
play his hand. Maybe he's going to wait for the second or third debate to say anything or what, you know, and maybe I'm giving him too much credit. I probably am giving him too much credit because like I said, with the, when he was debating Hillary Clinton, nothing really, I don't remember anything that happened in that first debate. It wasn't until the second debate where he had that really awesome zinger, you know, but other than that, but uh, do you kind of have those uh, same feelings? Uh, you, Will, you can start. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I do tend to think that, like, honestly, dude, I don't even know, like, I'm not even totally convinced that this is even happening yet. Like, I will be convinced once Joe Biden is on stage speaking. Like, I feel like they're still going to try to pull something to say, I don't like, I don't know what they could do at this point. It would it'd be an absolute disaster if they did pull out. But I just can't see him, like, hanging on stage with, with Trump. Um, even if Trump doesn't go, like, full beast mode on, on him the first night, which, you, you know, you're right, maybe he, maybe he will be a little more restrained. I'm not like expecting him necessarily to come out swinging as hard as he can. Um, he might, he might, uh, you know, sort of surprise us and come out with something like real, you know, uh, come out real Trumpy that first night. But honestly, yeah, I, I, I almost can't even imagine it that like Biden would get on a stage with Donald Trump at this point after seeing some, like, I guess he did okay at the, uh, the national convention, Biden, he was able to stand on stage and speak apparently. I mean, I, I maybe, I, I don't know though. Maybe they edited that thing together. Like, I, I don't know if that was one continuous shot. You know, like, I don't know if he's even capable of, of doing this kind of uh, performing this kind of uh, thing uh, for, for this extended period of time. But I don't know. He may he may end up surprising us, uh, Joe Biden. I'm, I'm kind of surprised they agreed that, to do an hour and a half. I thought yeah. for sure it was going to be like an hour with four commercial breaks or something like that. And you get like 42 minutes of TV time like you usually do. But <clears throat> I think they're going for like a full hour and a half. So um it'll be interesting i guess i i won't be surprised if they are able to get joe biden into a uh state with various uh concoction of drugs that he is uh able to go, go for an hour and a half but like from. will said i'm not sure how how aggressive that trump's gonna be especially right out of the gate here and so the the first debate i could see being kind of a flop Although maybe Trump will look at uh, this being the debate with Chris Matthews as maybe being his most fair shake of a moderator of the three. And so maybe he'll be aggressive here, uh, knowing that he'll get a little bit of support if Joe Biden really tries to like duck questions. <clears throat> uh, I'm I'm really interested to see how prepped that Donald Trump is here, how much he's going to bring up things like Hunter Biden, uh, mm -hmm. Obama's Ukraine policy, and then the uh, the the oh, Biden crime bill, uh, I think, are the big places where Donald Trump could score some really big points against Joe Biden. Um, but I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have uh, the mental ability or just the knowledge. Nobody's like prepped him on it to be able to go out and fire off on those things. And so I, I don't know. I'm kind of torn that, that I think this could be a real dud of a debate. I think me and Will are planning to uh, cover this debate on our show this uh, coming Wednesday. And so I could see this show being like a total of 10 minutes being like, well, that was really boring. Will they talked about absolutely nothing, uh, you know, uh, Biden called Trump a pussy grabber and Trump, you know, called Biden a groper. And that's just about, you know, the level of discourse we get. And of course, I, you know, I think me and Will are going to try to approach, like talk more about policy than uh, character and, and that kind of thing. So, or it, maybe there's going to be packed full of policy, who knows? And I, I, you know, I'm kind of waiting for Biden to poop himself on stage. And I, hopefully that I, I'm only hoping that will happen because I think the the country needs like a big moment like that to accept whoever wins or loses the election. Like if your candidate crapped himself on stage within the past couple of months, I think you have to be willing to accept that that's the reason why he lost the election, not because the country is racist. Um <laughs> Or may, who knows, maybe it'll be Trump who does it. He hates too much K KFC and Big Maps before the debate and just getting old it the whole time and oh. ends up walking out the stage like Jerry Nadler did a couple weeks ago. Man, that one, man is terrible. Um, one, one prediction that I have for the debate, um, I think Trump is going to completely drop the ball on the crime bill thing. I think it would be super smart for him to, to, to attack Biden on the crime bill and say just how responsible he is for mass incarceration and the drug war and all that stuff. But I think Trump's going to flub this. I think Trump's going to try to make Biden seem like Mr. Pro, like radical, anti-police, uh, pro-riot guy, which I think is going to be a foolish thing. Like, I, I don't think the riots are a winning uh, issue, but I think Trump would be better to, like, try to attack Biden from his left flank with that crime bill stuff. But I think he's, I, I expect him to screw that up. He's going to try to pretend like Biden's some kind of Marxist or something. Yeah, there was a there was a story that 
Joe Biden was proposing like $300 million raise for the police or whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. totally <laughs> police. He wants to defund the police. No, let's give him millions of dollars more. That'll we work. Meant fund the police, not defund the oh, police. Oh, right. That's right. what, you know, means the opposite. Right. Right. Yeah, that was uh, for training. And as me and Will documented uh, on like the final episodes of Foreign Policy Focus, there are, I would say, five to 10 cases of like video shot of police units shooting their like, uh, you know, racial tr justice trainees or whatever. Like, literally, the person who trained the officers like to be more respectful to black people end up getting shot with like tear gas canisters and tase. Uh, during the George Floyd protests and riots. Um, it, it's crazy. You remember that guy in L.A., Will? They they shot him right in the groin and laughed about it. I think so, yeah. Mm. Well, I, I will mention this before we move on to the last couple of things we wanted to mention. Uh, so there was this big endorsement that just happened for Joe Biden. <laughs> and, I mean, I think this is it, guys. I think he's got this one in the bag. But uh, so Dwayne Doc Johnson just came out and said, you know what? I'm a political centrist and independent. I voted for I voted for people in both parties. But I, I'm, I'm putting my uh, I'm, when I go big. Oh, you know, I go real big. So I'm going <laughs> to go and put my support behind Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. That because Tupac is also my favorite rapper alive as well. Um, so <laughs> they really add the Tupac thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. It's funny, it's funny too, because kind of like with that uh, joking about the Tupac thing, and then Kamala Harris in that interview, or whatever, she was like, you know, I have some other rappers, but I don't want to get into that because they should stay in their lane. And my first thought was maybe she's thinking about Ice T or something because Ice T can be pretty aggressive. So maybe, yeah. maybe she's like, well, I do like Ice T, but that motherfucker better stay in his lane. What Ice T? Oh hell no! You did not say that, bitch. <laughs> a little too too hotep for her he doesn't want that she doesn't want that baggage yeah right. she doesn't want that smoke yo <laughs> but uh yeah so you know who who does uh donald trump have in his corner robert davy who's that i don't know but no joe Biden Harris. oh oh he's got he's got the rock so the next thing that we need to do is that stone cold steve austin needs to come out and endorse donald trump and then WrestleMania 37, here we come, or whatever number it is now. Then they can battle out. Who's gonna, whoever the winner is, that's who's gonna win the presidency. Get the Iron Sheik to endorse Joe. So get her in the mix. <laughs> yeah, no, Let right. her speak. Joe Jorgensen. Joe Jorgensen. I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know how the Rock became like the woke Joe Rogan, but that's definitely <laughs> the role he's trying to play: is to be like, oh, I'm this like moderate who like you know is actually knowledgeable on things, and and that's not who he is. He's just like a centrist who like flip flops between the Republicans and the Democrats. Or like, you know, like the the debate we need to have is the Joe Rogan debate. Sure. You could like bet that yeah. like he would ask about Assange and Snowden and. I'm sure somebody mentioned Yemen. Like we've got to make sure Dave Smith gives him the call a week before the debate and be like, "You got to mention Yemen." Mm. Uh, he would definitely, you know, mention the wars and you know policing and pod and stuff like that. It, I guarantee you that it, none of the questions that uh, Chris Matthews is going to ask are the same ones that Joe Rogan would ask, and that a lot more Americans are more interested in the Rogan questions. Not because he's going to ask about DMT, but because he's going to ask about pot, and that those are more likely to change their votes and impact their lives. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Trump is now, he's got a presidential record and, you know, of course, Joe Biden being politics, being in politics for what, 40, 50 years now, this 40. time. For, yeah. Right. But this time he's going to really change things. I promise you this time he's really going to do some stuff. I swear. Well, I thought he was going to cure cancer. COVID. He, COVID, he did say that. Yeah, he did say, "Oh, cure cancer if you vote for me." <laughs> he was like pulling out straws now or something. What are you doing? <laughs> did he really say that? Yeah, there's a couple articles about it. Oh too. man, if you vote for me, you don't have cancer. I don't exactly. like, you, like you ain't you ain't black. You don't have cancer. Oh, <laughs> voting man. for Joe Biden has a lot of uh, consequences. A lot of uh, can do a that, lot. That, this whole um, this whole thing, like even if Donald Trump does lose or whatever. It's been a fun four years of Donald Trump as president. I know there's been some things that he's done that we obviously despise and he should be tried for war crimes, but just in terms of some of the reaction and he's hilarious. Yeah. 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 And the <laughs> corporate press and that everyone just acting like, 
oh man, that person that she, that he nominated for the Supreme Court, oh, oh yeah. Handmaid's Tale, I swear. It's like you said that last time. So like, how are we supposed to take you seriously if you keep saying the same thing over and over again? You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you saw today Trump tweeted out that he wants Joe Biden to have a drug test before or after the debate. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. That live, it's have, so it's have, like you know, someone stick a needle in both of them. Like, oh, the blood test came back negative, sir. Oh, okay, cool. Joe Biden, now we're going to do you now. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, let's do this. Like, okay, so if Joe Rogan did, if they did actually do that debate, the thing that I'd just be waiting for is Joe Rogan be like, so uh, have you guys ever smoked DMT and you want to try some? I mean, let's do this. Why not? It's the only chance I'm going to ever have, so why not? Test them right there. Right. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> so I think what they really got to do is they need to test Joe Biden for adrenochrome. That's really the, that that skips by the standard uh, twelve panel uh, drug screening. Uh, you gotta, you know, it's unfair. <laughs> so uh, the, the <laughs> next couple of things that we have here, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of this story, but we'll go ahead and share this on the screen because this is great for those who are watching. Um, this one is I, I, the I, I just like this headline because okay, so here's something that Donald Trump does actually have the whole space force, right? He made the whole space force and it's basically just a branch off the air force. Right. Uh, so this article in the BBC news here is a first U S space force deployment to land. Not so far, far away. Qatar. Yeah. Cause that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. Space force. Right. Going to Qatar. I don't know. Space okay. space. I'll, I'll, I like this too. With one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind, U.S. Space Force troops have now boldly gone where many American soldiers have gone before, the Middle East. <laughs> it, yeah, it, so yeah, from my understanding that there, it's only 20 people that they're sending, and they're sending them, they're deploying them to the uh, Uded Air Base, which I think is one of the biggest U.S. air bases in the world. Yeah. Um, and so they're just going to be like a, a tiny little portion of that base. But I think their goal is going to like be to, to monitor uh, through satellites and stuff what's going on uh, in the Persian Gulf and Iran. So this actually may be a little bit more provocative than it sounds because here they like will try to interfere with like maybe drones or uh, do some more surveillance over the Iranians. And we know that there's been uh, quite a few like saboteur style attacks in Iran recently. So I'm sure they're going to be uh extra uh skeptical of beyond the u.s actions here i i think it's funny that when you when you think of space force you think of uh, the star trek enterprise yeah they're gonna like, go to space yeah they're, they're gonna, gonna go, build a space go station. to mars or something like that it's like well we got your mars right here in the middle east there you go go get over there now i was, like, <laughs> I was under the impression i was gonna go to travel to saturn or something like that no nah, no nah, the space force is just a name <laughs> I mean, it's in space, technically. It's just not outer space. Like, there's, it's time and space that you're in, but you're in Qatar. <laughs> you're in the yeah. Middle East. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, yeah, they didn't specify which space. They just said space. Yeah, that is true. But, I mean, when you think of space and you see, you know, like you looked at the flag or they made a whole, they made a flag of that space That looks like Fort. Star Trek. Yeah, it looks like basically <laughs> the Federation, the United Federation of Planets logo or something like that. It was like, oh, okay. Very original. Yeah. I mean, if they want to be more honest, they should have just slapped the Lockheed Martin's uh, flag yeah. up there because yeah, it's really just like a procurement. Like, a, you know, they're going to get some R&D money from Lockheed and uh, Boeing probably will cash in on this one period, too. I think Raytheon does some space stuff with rockets mm -hmm. um, and, and Northern Grumman uh, BAE systems. I'm sure we'll all be very rich off of this. I'm just waiting for them to expand the nuclear triad and have like a nuclear, you know, like start weaponizing space. You're going to have a nuclear quad now and the orbital bombardment will be the fourth uh, leg of that frightening uh, prospect. Yeah. Yep. Just more, uh, more money to the government. And, you know, I guess we just, it's just another department that they can fund, I suppose, because we need more of those. <laughs> Just taking a moment to say, if you want to help support us, please donate to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash what's happening, or you can donate to us directly via PayPal. Some examples of patron benefits include early access, the full video library of old content, exclusive polls that will dictate the direction of our show, and merch. Thank you for your support. We really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. so, okay. The last thing 
that we are going to talk about. And this was voted on by our patrons for which weird news stories should we talk about? And it, it relates to coronavirus because that's what we're all, you know, we're, we're all under this uh, coronavirus thing. We're, we're not living in the AC world after coronavirus because there was a BC before coronavirus. Now we're living in the after coronavirus. So, but for the for the children out there who because children are listening to this, you right, know. right. But for the but for children <laughs> who are worried, oh, is it like twenty twenty is a really crazy year. But I really want to know if something's going to happen. Well, rest assured, you have uh, you have your um, you know I know you have your doubts, but it's okay. Rest assured. Uh, so Santa plans news conference to assure kids that Christmas twenty twenty will go on despite coronavirus. <laughs> so. There you go. And I guess this is Santa, I guess. I don't know. He, he doesn't have the suit. I don't know what's going on with that. But anyway, so I, there, there's been some, uh, you know, some children who have been concerned that the coronavirus is going to ruin Christmas. Well, Santa has, he's like, no, it's okay. I've received well over a thousand letters. And this is over in uh, Northeast Ohio. Uh, is that where he lives, huh? Yeah, he lives in All right. Ohio. I didn't know that. Did you, did you know that, that many letters? I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> but, so, okay. How do you guys feel about that? Like, were you under the impression that Christmas was going to be canceled? Because I guess they were going to cancel Halloween or something like that. Like, I don't know. What, what do you guys think about that? I heard that they are canceling Halloween. Like, they're they're going to be limiting trick or treating and all that stuff. But I don't believe this Santa. I think he is. Uh, he's just he's a shill for the Trump administration. He's trying to make Trump look good for his. Uh, even though I guess Christmas comes after the election, still like people are you know anticipating it. And so I think he's just trying to he's trying to make us all feel good. He's trying to lull us into a false sense of security. And Christmas really will be canceled. There, there will be no presents this year. So that's my verdict. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think Santa is going to be the ultimate super spreader. I think we'll be lucky if we'll make it to uh, New Year's. Uh, I think 2020 is it. This is uh, the Mayans were just a few years off, but I think it'll be this event, Santa Claus. Uh, Will will end up killing us all. It seems to be the only logical thing to draw from this. Sorry, um, guys. Sorry to have to tell you this, but yeah, yeah. So shouldn't but, leave any cookies out for him because he might leave some, you know, coronavirus behind. You know. Yeah, our kids are gonna leave out like hand sanitizer this year, like <laughs> and a face mask, or a ventilator, or something. Oh, are green, <laughs> like mint. But it is like part of the weird religion thing of all this, right? Where like every, like some people have to like close down their businesses. Like there's people overdosing and committing suicide all the time. But like, you know, we don't want to hurt the kids' feelings and be like coronavirus is going to ruin Christmas, kids. Like, no, if, if if this is that bad, then yeah, coronavirus ruins Christmas. Sorry. Santa's yeah. really old. He can't get it. Right. He's been a vulnerable can't take the uh, chances. He's got a social distance. So he can't do it this year. No, but see, it's it's just like a little ceremonial thing. So that's going to get to happen. Maybe you can just leave all the presents outside. Just leave them on the doorstep and then leave. Exactly. Spray so them down with Lysol. Yeah. Just spray it down with Lysol. Pick up presents and then you're just, good to go. Just as long as Santa Claus is wearing that mask, it's good to go. That's right. That mask. And hopefully the reindeer wear their mask too. You know, have to make sure they're not going to spread the coronavirus. Animals can get it. You ever see that? They're like dogs and cats and stuff, they can get it. So reindeer, I assume, can spread it. I uh, I read a story not that long ago. There was a headline that like first dog dies of COVID, right? And oh. then you read this story. It's a 17-year-old dog that had two types of cancer. <laughs> so it's just like with people. <laughs> and know? it was like, oh my God, how <laughs> like what editor did it be like, no, this is you can't write that headline. Get out of here. But it sounds pretty good though, right? Maybe they thought like, well, people don't care about other people, but they care about dogs. So if we just make make people scared of spreading it to their dog, then they'll wear their masks and stay. Mm, there you go. Esther, I mask up for my dog. There you go. Well, this was uh, this was great. You know, we ended on a on a pretty uh, lighthearted note. I think I don't know. Talking about Santa, you know, I don't even know if Santa's real. I, I'm still I still don't know. I'm old, so I don't I don't even know if he's old, uh, real or not. You I don't really, even know if he's old or not. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but anyway just want to thank you guys for coming on again and it's funny too because i just uh realized this too that the last time we had john we talked about julian assange and then we got to talk about julian assange again so i don't know maybe you're our julian assange people i don't know maybe the next time some big thing happens with julian then we'll have you on again i don't know but anyway 
I uh, just want to thank you guys for coming on. And if you guys want to uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, if you have any plugs or anything like that, so you can go ahead, uh, Kyle, and go first. Yeah. So uh, the big thing is uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Conflicts of Interest. I mean, we'll do the show three days a week, and we put on video content of all the show. Uh, we put it out also in clip form, so that it's real, like, good shareable content. If you just want to, like, listen to what we have to say about Yemen on a certain day or Assange or whatever, uh, that's available. Uh, so then you can follow the show on Twitter at con underscore interest, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Anselone underscore. Uh, my work is all put out at the Libertarian Institute. I'm the news editor. I write the Daily News Roundup. And then the show is also featured there. All right. And well, yeah, if you guys want to, Kyle covered most of the stuff for our show. Um, but if you want to see me personally, I'm at, at the Will Porter on Twitter. And that's also where you can go to see where I'm like, I'm sharing most of my writing in RT. So I'm a staff writer there and I do news coverage there five days a week. But yeah, also follow all the stuff Kyle said if you want to follow our new show, Conflicts of Interest. And thank you guys for uh, having us on. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Yeah. And then, of course, for us, you know, we have all the links in the description. So we'll make sure to have that there. And uh, yeah, we will see you guys in the next episode. Have a good one, everyone. <laughs>